The nail in the coffin! Welcome to the Nail in the Coffin. It's our weekly Cleveland sports podcast. It's Tom Valentino and Travis Uli. It's Tuesday night, and after weeks, dare I say months, of disclaimers, like barring unforeseen circumstances or uh, something catastrophic happening, Trev, we can finally just say it. It's Cavs, Warriors 3, and the NBA Finals. So many directions for us to go, but I want to start with this. When the Cavs clinched in Boston last Thursday, how did you celebrate, if at all? I I so I stayed up and watched some of the post game, but I I didn't I didn't really celebrate a whole lot. I mean, like you said, it kind of feels like every week since October we've been saying, all right, well, let's nothing none of this really matters that much. Let's get to the playoffs, and then once the playoffs started, it became pretty apparent pretty early. I think that it was going to be um, the Cavs, and barring one half of basketball against the Spurs, um, Golden State. So it, it was more just like as inevitable as it can be, I guess, in sports, because, you know, these things are never guaranteed, but this one sort of seemed to go right by the book so far. Um, so beating Boston was, it was cool. I mean, as, as a fan, you don't want to take these things for granted because it's still pretty cool, even if just to get to the finals, but that's not really the goal. So it was sort of a, uh, not, it, I wasn't popping bottles or anything. I'll put it that way. <laughs> You know, I, uh, I, I basically, when the final horn sounded on Thursday, I stood up from the couch in my basement and I gave a single fist pump and I texted my dad and I said, now we go to war. Um, and lunch is on you, right? That's right. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I uh, still got to wait to cash in my, uh, my burger and fries at uh, Chase's, but I'm definitely looking forward to that. Uh, Cavs made me look good and uh, holding up that. Uh, yeah, plenty of breathing room. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it just, it made me think a little bit about, and I can't believe it's already been 10 years, but it's been a decade since the Cavs beat the Pistons to uh, win their first Eastern Conference title. And all the way back in 2007, and it was just kind of amazing to me to think about, A, that it's been a decade, and B, how much different the the feeling is now versus then I very vividly remember what I was doing. It was a Saturday night. I was in Columbus for the weekend. I was staying with my old college roommate, Tim, because I was down there covering the uh, state high school track meet for the Herald. And um, Michelle had actually just come down that night to meet up with us down there. And her and I had only been dating at that point uh, since the previous fall. And, um, I don't know where you were celebrating that night, but I was pretty much losing my mind at a bar within walking distance of the house we were staying at and buying endless rounds of beers and shots. And my phone was going off and, uh, um, you know, <laughs> to go from that to where we are now, it's uh, a simple fist pump and uh, on to the next one. It's uh, it's wild. Yeah, I'll say I had an exact opposite reaction then to what I had this time around. Um, because I don't know about you and I know it's hindsight's 2020 and it's sort of easy to say, but when they got to the finals in 07, 
it really felt like, all right, that was their championship. I don't know about you. I didn't give them a whole lot of chance against the Spurs. That turned out to be 100% accurate. Um, this year, it's complete opposite. The Eastern Conference title means very little um, very little right now. We may look back on it finally down the road, and it'll they'll get a banner either way, and it'll be one of those things we talk about, I'm sure, down the road. But in terms of, of expectations, um, they haven't reached them yet. So... I was very reserved and I kind of, you know, watched a little bit of the post game, thought, all right, this is cool. Now let's start the ones that really matter. All right. So you texted me on Friday morning. Um, do you remember what you texted me? I'm going to bet that it wasn't the cleanest text ever, but, but no, I don't. No, it wasn't too bad. Basically you were telling me already, uh, we were not even 12 hours removed from the Eastern oh, Conference finals wrapping up. And, I, just, uh, I woke up with just dread. <laughs> like already stressed out um, because the finals are long and every game is emotionally taxing. And especially in a series like this, there's going to be a lot of swings. And I already was feeling antsy the day after that game. You're not alone either. I've seen a lot of people saying the same thing. I Are you still feeling that way now as we're getting closer to game one? Yeah. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm, I'm obviously... I, as it gets closer, it's sort of building up a little bit. Um, the thing that's different, and I liken it to other sports, um, in the World Series, it was, what, seven, eight? It was probably, what, nine days for yes. seven games? Um, in football, particularly college football, you have a buildup for a month and a half for a bowl game, and then it's one game and done. So you kind of get it all out of your system. Um, basketball, it's you have a long build up to it, and it's spread out over you know two and a half weeks, so twice as long as baseball is normally. And it's one of those things where I I try to just keep an even keel because you can't get too amped up this early, um, or you'll never make it out alive, really. You're right about all of that, and if the finals go the distance again this year, it would take 18 days to play all seven games. Um, but it's weird. At the same time, I feel like even though the playoffs have been going on for over a month and a half now, it kind of feels like it's flown by to me. Maybe it's just because the Cavs have only played, uh, what, 13 games? But... um I don't know. It's just th this whole postseason has just been a blur to me. But uh, as far as like the anxiety and the stress goes, uh, I'm I'm going to go ahead and put the caveat in here right now that everything I'm about to say is completely subject to going out the window five minutes into game one. But I um I, I don't have any of that stress. I, I'm not feeling it at all. And uh, I, I thought about that for a while. I'm like, what? Why? Like, and I just I think it kind of goes back to this just weird odyssey almost of the past year since we woke up on the morning of June 20th last year, the day after the Cavs won the championship and just, you know, you spend your whole life identifying as a Cleveland sports fan. And that means ever winning the big one and, you know, all the heartbreak and disappointment and over and over and over again. And it was like, that all went away. And I, uh, I I told my dad last week, I said that gave the, the finals last year 
and game seven in particular, um, that guy, that team led by that guy beating that team in that way will never, ever, ever be topped for as long as any of us live. Um, sports for me will never get better than that moment. And I'm okay with that. And, um, it's, it's strange. Like I know a lot of people were just crushed after the Indians lost the world series in October. And yeah, that sucked. And I kind of had a down moment there a couple days later when I was walking down East ninth street at what should have been the time the parade was going on, but, um, it just never really hit me in the way that losses in the past have. And I just, it's nice to kind of feel unburdened as a fan. And I kind of feel like the way the team's playing, they look unburdened too. Yeah, I think that I I can certainly understand. And I agree with you about last year. Um, Although in a way you kind of look, they're not 73 and nine and they don't have a unanimous MVP. But if you look at Golden State, you got to think that they look better than last year. Um, well, maybe well, not yeah, look better, but they should win, be better in theory. 73 win team that added Kevin Durant. I would hope they look better. Right. But. Right. So that's, that's sort of where I look at in terms of, but it, it's, it's one of those things where, yeah, last year's, I don't know that they're ever going to match last year in terms of how they did it, how much fun it was, the emotion, all that shit. I don't think it'll ever You can't duplicate those circumstances in terms of, a 52 year drought for all of your teams in the city and, and everything that comes with it. So. Right. And the fact that it was the first one in almost everybody's lifetime and the manner in which they did it, um, that's never going to be matched. I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with you one bit there. Um, and the Indians in the Indians case, honestly, and maybe it is because the Cavs won. I'm not sure how I feel if the Cavs had lost, but when the Indians lost that series, I was I was incredibly disappointed for sure, especially because you know they had that big homer and all the circumstances, the way that it ended. I was still pretty damn excited. I was able to, and and this has been incredibly rare for me historically. Um, I was able to look at it and say, you know what, that was a hell of a lot of fun. Um, I'd much rather be that team that lost the last game of the season than any of the other, you know, twenty eight teams that weren't even there. Um, it was one of those teams that I, I think we probably had fairly tempered expectations um, near the end of the season. And then they got in the playoffs and all that stuff. And I was able to look at it and, and say, you know what, that was a hell of a lot of fun. I'm happy with what happened. I'm not, I'm not going to be angry that they choked away a three to one lead. And I'm not going to be angry. You know, that there was a rain delay that seemed to kill momentum and all that shit. I was able to look at it and say, you know what, for, for what it was, that's, it's about as good as it can get without actually winning the damn thing. So I was happy there. And like I said, the Cavs may have played a big part in that. Um, it probably eased some of the desperation that we've been feeling for so long. Um, sure. But overall, uh, leading into these finals again, I want to do it again. I, I, oh, hell yeah. I, I'm not going to feel that way. I'm not going to feel that way for the Cavs that I felt for the Indians last year. I just, I won't be able to. And I probably won't feel that way for the Indians again if they get there this year again. No. Um, I, right, I well, want to do the damn thing. Totally, totally with you there. Um, and make no mistake about it. Uh, the stakes in this series 
are incredibly high for everybody involved. Um, let me ask you this. Who do you think, whether it's a team, a player, a coach, any of the above, um, who has the most to gain or the most to lose in this series? I think the most to gain... I think the most to gain is probably LeBron. Um, it, it, there's been a, sort of an uprising recently of people saying, you know, well, if he's, if, and I think people forget, he's been in eight finals and he's been the underdog in six of them. Um, and, and lately, a lot of focus has been sort of that, um, well, if he's, you know, in the Jordan debate, he shouldn't be the underdog. Um and I, I don't I think that's a stupid argument. If there's a better team, just because you're the best player doesn't mean you're on the best team. But I think because he's at this point on, he's just adding to his his legacy. He has a legacy that's that's pretty well written. And at this point, he's adding things onto it. Every championship he adds uh, bolsters that legacy that much more. I don't know that anyone. Um, the the only other guy I guess that's probably close would be Durant, but truthfully, if Durant wins, he's probably going to take all that heat that LeBron took. He's not, but he's not going to get the acknowledgement that he's the best player in the world like LeBron gets. It's going to be, oh, you're still not as good as LeBron, and you had to join up with the seventy three and nine team to do it, the team that beat you. Um, so I don't. He has a whole lot to gain from it, which is hard to say. I don't know that anybody on that team has a whole lot to gain from it. Um, because it's it, it's going to be a huge letdown for I mean not just a letdown for them but it's going to be um I mean that's underachieving for them and let's be honest they should win um regardless of who's in their way even if it is LeBron um so mm. the most to lose is probably Durant um ironically um that that's, that's my answer I'm not going to go too much into the Durant thing but All that's right. what I'm going with your thoughts <laughs> I, uh, you know, the, the thing for me, um, I, I'm not totally convinced that Golden State just should win. I mean, I understand that and I understand why they're the favorites, but I'm not you know, saying I agree with it. I think that's you, the general consensus. You listen, you listen to their players, you listen to their fan base and the just overriding theme is that they were this head and shoulders better team than the Cavs last year and through some fluky circumstances, just let it get away from them. And, you know, let's not forget, I mean, game seven was close and yes, the Warriors blew out the Cavs in their three wins. The Cavs blew out the Warriors in the three wins that went the other way too. Um, that, and I feel like that gets glossed over a lot and for all the matchup problems that the Warriors create, and make no mistake, they do, I'm not entirely convinced they have an answer for LeBron and Kyrie. And um, I don't know. I, I just, I I feel like this is more of, uh, uh, th this is not as much David and Goliath as it sometimes gets portrayed as. That I mean, we'll see. I, it, it would not shock me. If the Cavs get run in four, it also would not shock me if the Cavs went and won this series five games. Um, I really, I, I don't know. And I think that's what's going to make this a lot of fun. Um, 
in terms of like the the legacy thing, getting back to the the LeBron versus Jordan debate, I, there's so part of this is just a function of having a week between games and just you get that buildup that feels like a bowl game or or the the Super Bowl or any other kind of sporting event where there's so much time between games, especially before a championship round. But um, it just it drives me nuts because we have Michael Jordan's complete body of work. He's never going to play in another NBA game. LeBron is still in the prime of his career and is going to keep playing at an extremely high level for years to come. His story is not done being written. And I would not have um, a, a baking contest between a completed cake and one that's only been in the oven for 25 minutes. It It's just, you know, you can't compare the two. It, and to try to, like, position LeBron's accomplishments to this point versus what Michael Jordan did in his entire career, I just, I feel like it's ludicrous. It, you know, let's, wh- why do we need to rush that discussion now, first of all? And second of all, even when LeBron does finally finish his career, I'm, there's never going to be a right answer to that. Is there? I mean, is there ever going to be a definitive? He, the one guy is obviously um, more accomplished and, and, and did more and had a better career. No, but you know what's the weird thing is if you look at every sport, pretty much universally, there's no head and shoulders far and away, bar none, everyone agrees this is the best player, right? There, there just isn't. For some reason, when Jordan left, when he retired from Chicago, obviously the Washington stuff doesn't really, doesn't matter at all, but everybody seemed to be in almost universal agreement that he was the best player of all time. Um, And you're thinking that's strange to have that in basketball versus any other sport? I think it's strange to have it in any sport, um, particularly in basketball where the eras are so different and you know, there's there's your Wilts and your Bill Russells and your Magics and your Larrys and your Jordan and your Kobe and your Sh- and Hakeem and all these other guys. They're all in the discussion, but for some reason, um, at some point, the debate seemed to completely end for basketball. And then for a brief moment, Kobe was being mentioned in that class, um, not for very long. And then you know, for the last five, six years, it's been LeBron and rightfully so, I guess. But I just, I don't get why basketball seems to be the one where everyone thinks Jordan is this head and shoulders clear cut number one. Um, And he's the only one that's even in the discussion. My only theory for that is the reason I think you could try to have that discussion in basketball, even with the differences in style versus generations and just the way the game is played overall. Um, basketball players at different positions have different responsibilities, but they are the closest in what they do of any of the sports. Um, yeah, I agree. It's, like, it's the most, it's the, it's the easiest one to pinpoint an individual's impact. I think. And especially, especially in this era of now of like positionless basketball, like one of the big, biggest things that LeBron has going for him is that he conceivably could guard any of the five guys that Golden State's going to throw on the floor at any time. And, you know, if you look at football... probably will. 
He probably, <laughs> you're he, right. He, he will. probably will. I will bet in 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 every game at some point he's he's guarding each position, and that's that's but sort yeah, of what but, he did last year. But continue. But if Sorry. you look at like baseball, like how do you compare? I don't know Andrew Miller and Mike Trout. They have completely different jobs. Or in football, uh, Joe Thomas with um, Tom Brady. Again, it's completely different responsibilities. All right, but so, so, all right. Here, here's I'll I'll even complicate it a little bit further. If you're if you sit down with ten baseball guys and you say, "Tell me the best pitcher of all time," you'll get seven different answers. Yeah. You do that in football and say, give me the best quarterback. You'll probably only get two or three answers. Um, But still, you're going to get some variety. In basketball, you sit down with 10 guys, you're probably going to get nine that say Jordan. Yeah, I think it's just the culture of the sport and and just the way the individual, it is a a game that just sets itself up to to have great individual performances. And it's a a star-driven league. And, um, I just, I, I just think the nature of the NBA kind of lends itself to having an alpha dog. So, um, I don't know that, uh, we'll see, but you know, if LeBron, uh, if LeBron can pull it off here and if the Cavs can pull off the, the back to back and certainly, uh, going to add to his uh, mythology, but, um, I don't know what. Uh, what, what so wait, you, you have to answer your own question. Who do you think has the most to lose and gain? I really think it's there's something. I, I'm looking at this from the team perspective. As much as we just spent the last ten minutes talking about Durant and LeBron and what it means for them individually, I really feel like there there's going to be something really interesting to come out of this from the team perspective on both sides because as Far and away, you know, is is just so much far and away uh, ahead of the field that the Cavs are in the East, and Golden State is in the West. I mean, it's it's not inconceivable that you know we're on year three of this matchup of the finals that these teams could beat again in like years four and five. Now, whether that's good or bad for the league, that's probably a discussion we can have later or on another day. But at the same time, like if you're the Cavs. You know, we kind of touched on this a little bit last week towards the end. Um, you know, there's this cloud kind of hanging over them with David Griffin. And I don't know if you heard, Jason Lloyd was on Bowen Fox a few days ago, and he said that he thinks Griff is gone if the Cavs don't repeat. Yep, I did hear that. And, and that was sort of a sort of a bombshell they slipped in at the end of the interview. And it, and yeah, and it was kind of just presented as his gut feeling, but at the same time, I think he is as dialed in as anybody who covers the Cavs. And if you just hear some of the other stuff that he's been able to share from behind the scenes at various points from the last few years, especially with how things unraveled with David Blatt, um if he's the guy saying that it, it kind of concerns me. So, you know, if, if things, you know, a, you've got that whole deal to worry about um, at a later date, if you're a Cavs fan after this series wraps up. And the other thing is like, let's say the Cavs do get blitzed in this series and, and lose it in four or five games. Um, 
I don't really know like what the next move is to try to get back into it against Golden State. I mean, you could certainly just ride it out with the group that you have and cruise through the East again next year, most likely, but you're clearly going to come in next to next year's finals as an underdog again. So, you know, if, if things go horribly wrong for the Cavs in the series, I mean, it, that it could be a little bit more of a stressful summer than we'd like to think about. Conversely, yeah. go I'm, ahead. Just to echo what you're saying there. I've, I've been, I've thought about that recently. Um, if, if the Cavs do, you know, if they do falter and they don't win here, what sort of tweaks can they even make? If That's you're saying, saying they got to catch up to Golden State, I don't know that there's anything they can do. Yeah, it's not like another Kevin Durant is just looming out there that they can go add to their team instead in this endless arms race between these two teams. Um, but, you know, just kind of getting back to it here, like the flip side of it is like Golden State, um, you know, they've kind of just boosted themselves up on this notion that they had it last year and and they're still the the team to beat this year and they added Kevin Durant and all that. Um if they lose to the Cavs again, you know, what where do they go from here? Because one time maybe you could talk yourself into crazy circumstances. Twice that that's a different discussion. Not to mention the fact that we're closing in on the time when Steph Curry is going to be getting paid and he's not going to be getting the uh, discount that uh, he got the last time because he had all the injuries during his rookie contract and Kevin Durant's got to get paid. And when those guys get maxed out, you're probably saying goodbye to Iguodala. Uh, I don't know. I think Sean Livingston is up sooner than later. And they're already thinner on their bench than they were last year. Um, you know, it's it's not always entirely accurate to say that uh, that that they are just the seventy three. It's just a straight upgrade of a seventy three win team uh, plus Kevin Durant this year. I mean, they they did have to shed a lot of their supporting cast in order to make the numbers work on that. So, um, if if they, you know, have a, a bad finals here. That, that that's going to be a real stressful situation for them out in the Bay area. Yeah. And I think, um, but you look at it and, and there's not a whole lot you'd want to change about the team, it, but it's hard to say, you know, you can't, I guess if, and I don't know why I'm bemoaning the subject because fuck them. But <laughs> um, if, if they lose two times in a row to a team that let's be honest, they've got more, they're on paper, they're better. Um. But if they lose to the to the Cavs twice, there's not many moves that you can really look at though, and, and and think of them making and say, oh yeah, that makes them better though. That's the thing. I think there's a certain point. And the Cavs, I think, are sort of at this point too, where you can't really improve a whole lot. Yeah, um, I really feel like um, these are two of the best rosters that the NBA has had in a long, long time. And if you take one of these teams out of this year and drop it into like any other year from the past, I don't know, going back to like 2000, how many years would one of these teams not be the favorite to win the title? Either yeah, of them. From probably from the, from the end of Shaq's era, 
Um, I was going to say the 0-1 Lakers are are definitely in the discussion. That team was awesome. Very yes. similar to the Cavs in the way they fucked around in the regular season. Um, yeah. I think since Shaq left the Lakers, any of these teams would have been favored. I think... Um, do you think LeBron's best Heat team is better than this Cavs team? Hmm. That would be a really fun series. Um, I I think the second year LeBron won the title when they beat San Antonio in seven, I think that team was unbelievable. And I think the San Antonio team that ended LeBron's team in Miami the following year is another one. That that team in the finals was one of the most locked-in teams I, I can remember watching. Um, yeah, and there's a handful. I mean, there's a handful of teams that have that have won, but if you go back and look, maybe one, maybe a couple of the Spurs teams. Those are the only ones I really see beating either of these two teams in a seven game series. Yeah, I don't even um, think I don't really think any of the ones before the last title team would do it. I have to go back. I mean, I'd have to go back and look a little bit, but you look at like like Boston when they won it. They were old. They would. Yeah. Get, I think they'd get run off the floor by the two, these two teams. And the league was. It doesn't feel like that long ago, but the three ball was not what it is now. It was not the game changer, not the X factor that it is now. On either one of these two teams, I think would honestly just run them off the floor. Yeah. Um, if those guys were all in their prime, obviously, then it's a different game. But um, same with those Lakers teams, even though shit, Pau Gasol seemed old then, and he's still playing somehow. <laughs> Um, he seemed old this year too. He he. Oh man, he looked he looked rough in that series against Golden State. But he was kind of being tasked with doing a little more than he probably should have been doing. Um, but yeah, I'm with you overall. I think these are two of the best teams that we've seen in a long time, and I think it's gonna for whichever one loses. Um, and, and maybe not because they already got one, but I think when we look back in the mid '90s, there's a couple teams that we look at. And we say, well, that team, those teams are pretty good. If they didn't just, if they just didn't run into Jordan, um, they probably would have won a title or two. I think both of these two teams are better than any of those teams, um, and and it's going to be one of those situations that we look at, and whichever one loses, they're going to look at it and sort of just like we do last year for Golden State, we're going to look at it and say, well, they were a damn good team. They just ran into a team that outplayed them that was just as good and outplayed them for seven games. Yeah, you know, you know. You um you mentioned the three ball and and how that's changed the game now and I think that's worth mentioning just in terms of this. I fully expect at least a couple games in this series to be big blowouts again, like basically the first six games of last year's series were just for the sole reason that um with so many threes being taken, I feel like it creates a lot wider variance in scores it, it, it much bigger swings in games you can you can shoot yourself back into games and you can shoot yourself out of it and i think at different times in last year's finals that that happened both ways so you know if the Cavs when they go out to oakland here for these first two games if they get run out of the gym in one of these first two uh don't panic um, cause it's entirely possible that they could come back here 
and do the same thing. That said, I know the Cavs came through even after losing the first two games at Golden State last year. I really don't think that's a position you want to be flirting with two years in a row. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can't really argue with that. I I agree with what you're saying about um, the three ball. And I think people, it's sort of why you can look at the score of a lot of games and they don't necessarily always feel like blowouts, but it can turn out to be, you know, 12, 13, 15 point game, something like that. And that's going to happen in the series. And it's one thing I'll tell anybody listening, emotionally prepare yourself for it because there's going to be a time where Golden State goes on a 15 to two run in a minute and a half because they just hammer out four or five threes and, because that's what they do. And before you know it, you're sitting there like, what the hell just happened? It's going to happen. You have to count on A, the Cavs being able to chip in one or two of those themselves, and B, uh, that guy wearing number 23 to get you through it, quite frankly. Um, so, and, and, we, and you didn't see that. And that's, what, that's sort of what I'm referring to from not even really that long ago. Um, it's really been in just the last handful of years. Um, you didn't see that happen a whole lot back in the day, um, even just late 2000s. It's a very new development, um, but it's going to happen. And, and, it, and yeah, if you lose a game by 15, it doesn't necessarily mean you got ran off the floor. It means a couple of their shots fell and a couple of years didn't. Um, and you got to hope that that reverses for the following game. And, you know, you, you talk about LeBron. Um... You know, it's funny, last year he, he got off the plane after Game 7 wearing the Ultimate Warrior t-shirt. I think equally as appropriate would have been to have Hawk and Animal on his shirt because he's the Road Warrior as well. Have you just noticed, and this really came through to me, especially in the Eastern Conference Finals, he has what feels like a completely different gear, both for himself and especially in comparison with the rest of the league when he plays road games he he thrives on the road environment and um you know i think it's a big reason why i personally don't even feel like home court advantage even matters in a series like this like when i when i say like the cavs really don't want to afford or they really can't afford to go down 0-2 in the series um, it has nothing to do with home court or anything like that. It's that, you know, you don't want to be in a position where you have to win four out of the last five. I I think they've proven over the last two years, especially thanks to LeBron, that they can win in Oracle. Um, I mean, they won a game there two years ago, and that was the first game after Kyrie broke his uh, kneecap. So, um, you know, the worst circumstances imaginable, they came through there. And then they won their last two games there last year. And conversely, Golden State's won, I think, three three games in Cleveland over the last two years in the finals. So, um, yeah, I mean, if you're going to the games, anybody, you know, raise hell and, and let Golden State hear it for two and a half hours. But, you know, these teams can win on each other's floor. And I'm not so sure that LeBron necessarily – thrives in a road environment i think he thrives in like high pressure games and that i'm not just gonna say that he's the most like clutch 
um, because I feel like that tends to just apply to like last second shots and shit like that. Um, but you don't see him put on a clunker. Even if his team loses, he is nine times out of 10, the best player on the floor in a big game. Um, and I think this is sort of what gives me the most confidence. If there's a big game and this can hold true over the last few years, truthfully, um, if there's, if you're in a big game and you have LeBron and who would you rather have LeBron and Kyrie on your team or Kevin Durant and Steph Curry? I know who I'm taking and it's not particularly close. Yeah, I'm with you. So, I mean, that's, if, if you're a Cavs fan, yeah, they can, Warriors will be able to go on a run and they'll be able to, and, and the Cavs will have to weather those and it's not going to be, it's not going to be easy and at times it's not going to be fun, but you really, have, that's, that's what I'm going to continue to find solace in is the fact that they, the Cavs have the two guys on their team of everybody in this series, the two guys on their team that I trust the most to not let the pressure get to them. Because we've seen it happen with Curry. Quite frankly, we saw what happened with Curry twice. He wasn't that damn good in the first finals, the one that they won. Um, and Durant has, LeBron's routinely eaten him alive when they've played. So, I mean, Durant will get his points. Um, and that's probably what my hunch is. That's probably what the, the Cavs will let them do. Um, but he's not going to, he's not going to be able to take over games. Um it, just because I, I feel like neither one of them has really shown the ability to do that in big games, at least. Yeah, and... I don't know if that's I don't know if that's fair or not. Maybe I'm being a homer, but um, I'm sure that's part of it. But Steph Curry was unanimous MVP last year, and he disappeared, and Kyrie killed him. Kyrie outplayed him in the finals last year. Absolutely, no question, no question about it. Um, I'll, I'll go a step further. I I like that matchup for the Cavs this year. Kyrie's going to have to be great. The Cavs can't win this series if if Kyrie's not great. Um, And he's going to have to be great at both ends of the floor because I think he's going to spend a lot of time guarding Steph. And when the Cavs have been successful against the Warriors over the last couple of years, it has been because they've been able to completely take Steph out of his rhythm and you know, bumping him and, and, you know, chipping at him and running him off screens and being physical. And, you know, I think Kyrie in a lot of ways has stepped up to the challenge. And um, I feel great about his mindset just from what I've seen out of him, you know, in, in the last, uh, you know, throughout these, these playoffs here, especially the later it goes on. Um, there was a really cool moment. I don't know if, if you saw this or not, but in the last game of the conference finals, fourth quarter, um, all the starters were out, and LeBron was kind of chilling on the bench, and Kyrie came up and leaned over his shoulder and was right in his ear and was like barking at him at full volume, hyping him up, and LeBron was just sitting there nodding and eating it all up. And then when they went to the post game the trophy ceremony back in the in the locker room area you could see Ky- Kyrie was still in the background just already nodding and, and he was talking about it later on just how amped up he is he wants this series he wants this matchup and um in the same way that I had a really good feeling about what Kevin Love could do against the Celtics I feel every bit as good about what Kyrie can do against the Warriors this year yeah um I know in the post game 
he actually said Kyrie actually said he was talking about um LeBron passing Jordan on the postseason scoring list and whatnot and and his um his explanation was kind of like tempered. Um he was like, you know, I was just telling him to enjoy it and you know, this is a big moment for him and blah blah blah. And then you look at him, you're like, that's not what he was saying. He's he's I think him and LeBron, neither one of them could give a shit about scoring. And yes, it's a it's a it's a cool thing. And and they gave him all the love in the world for it. And it got the attention it made. LeBron, I honestly think would have been pulled earlier in that game if that record didn't exist because they don't want to be talking about it. Um, I don't think Kyrie mentioned that one bit when he was barking in his ear. Um they were already looking ahead and I think he probably just didn't want to come out and say that because they've been pretty hesitant. I think to give anything that might be construed as locker room material or bulletin board material. Um, They want to, I think they want to like golden state do the talking and they've got a couple guys that have shown (laughs) that they're willing, more than willing to take that. So I think, Kyrie was probably saying a lot of things to LeBron that he wouldn't want anybody else to know that he's saying, at least publicly. And that's fine. As long as oh, those yeah. guys are on the yep. same page, I could give a shit what anybody else thinks. Yep, exactly. Agreed. Yeah. Um, any other uh, uh, key points and, and things that uh, are kind of sticking out about this series for you? One thing that I've noticed, and it's gotten a little bit of a run, but not a bunch, um, and we've mentioned it, what sort of a factor do you think Kevin Love's going to be? Because he's playing the best basketball since he came to Cleveland. No question about that. He seems the most comfortable in his role as he's been since he came to Cleveland. But last year in the finals, it just sort of seemed like it wasn't a good matchup for him. I'm not going to say that he played poorly. Um, he didn't. His numbers obviously didn't look great. But um, like I said, it wasn't. It wasn't a series where he what he was doing last year matched up real well. Um, do you expect to see them use him more? Do you expect him to play considerably better? What do you think? I think he is going to have a larger role in this series than he did last year, especially given the fact that last year he missed game three with the concussion, and I think he missed, or he at least came off the bench in game four. He was limited in game four because of that. So that right off the bat, kind of put him behind the eight ball in that series. Um, And I think, you know, some of those role player changes that the Warriors have had and just how their personnel looks a little bit different beyond Durant this year, I feel like he's more playable this year, uh, depending on, on what they, what, what the Warriors roll out their lineup wise. Um, I I don't think Kevin Love's suddenly going to look, against the Warriors like he did against the Celtics. I, I, I still think all things considered, it's still not a great matchup for him, but I think he can be useful. Um, but I'm really interested to see a, who, what, who he's guarding, who's guarding him and just what ways the Cavs try to use him offensively. And if they try to make a concerted effort to get him going in the first quarter, or if they just drop the pretense right from the get-go and, and try to set a tone with LeBron attacking right away. Yeah, um, I think I think his biggest opportunity, and I think um, I'll be interested to see how much 
Golden State runs with it. But if there's a center on the floor, a true center, JaVale McGee or Zaza, I think that the the positive is that those guys aren't going to test Love too much on defense. And he can test them way more when he's on offense than they can him. Um, so I think that's a matchup that could be exploited pretty pretty well, um, and I expect them to try that. Um, I think when Golden State goes to one of their small ball lineups, that's, that's sort of a no-brainer. Yeah, Love's probably going to lose minutes then. Um, but overall, I'm with you. I think the way that he's playing right now, um, as long as he stays comfortable and he stays, you know, keeps doing what he's been doing, um, it, it could last year. It was, it was sort of a matchup nightmare. I think it could be one that benefits the Cavs this year. Yeah. You know, and let's not forget that as bad as a matchup as it was, um, in the end, he shut off Steph Curry in the, the final minute of the game. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's sort of that, that third play that gets mentioned, obviously, from that, that game. But the blocks, the shot, and the stop. That, uh, that yeah, was the three stop. times, three times Steph tried him and couldn't get an open look. So, um, yeah, I mean, don't expect to see that matchup too often. And if you do see it very often, I don't expect it being favorable for the Cavs. But he definitely answered the, answered the call when, when it came last year, no question. Yeah couple other things that I'm thinking about going into this. You know, we talked about how the schedule for the finals could go 18 days if they go the full seven. I think that helps the Cavs just because they rely on their top guys more than the Warriors rely on theirs. You're going to get 45 minutes of LeBron per game, most likely, unless something gets out of hand. And the Warriors starters are not typically going that long so I think it's going to really help the Cavs to get that little bit of extra recovery time the only time every one of these games in the series has two days off before it with the one exception being there's only one day off between games three and four in Cleveland and you know that was this it's basically the same schedule as last year and you know that was the one home game that the Cavs lost last year was game four. And that was really the only one that I felt like they really looked like they were out of gas down the stretch. And I think, you know, only having that one game to worry about the the shorter rest, I think that's a huge benefit for the Cavs. Yeah, I think, and you posted that article today um, on our Facebook page about Tristan Thompson and him sort of embracing his role and whatnot. And in there, there was actually a mention of how um, how he didn't he he felt much more comfortable during the finals, going all out and expending all of his energy every game because he knew he had a couple of days off to recover and do the same thing the following day. Um, I agree with you completely. I think that rest helps the Cavs not just because of how much we play. Um, LeBron and 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 those guys, but also we're old. I mean, we're a pretty old team in general. So if it does get to a, a case where um the benches matter more than we maybe think they're going to, that rest helps us. I think quite a bit. I don't know that it really makes much difference for Golden State one way or another. Um, I don't think it hurts them necessarily, but I don't think it gives them the advantage that it gives the Cavs. 
I was going to say, I think it hurts him in the sense that it helps the Cavs because the Cavs, yeah. I think that they're going to have a chance to kind of make hay, so to speak, when the Warriors start dipping into their bench and LeBron gets a chance to go up against more of their second unit. Because, like, you know, Golden State, I don't think they've had to deal with it. I mean, obviously, they've never had to deal with anybody like LeBron this year, but especially the, the minutes and the, the volume that he's going to be playing. Uh, it's, I mean, he's basically out there for the whole game. I mean, he'll get two minutes off in the first half and a minute off in the second half, and you've got to constantly account for him. And that's, that's just such a tremendous advantage to have for the Cavs and to be able to keep him fresh with, with the extra day off before most of these games, I think is critical. The other one, the other point, and the last point that I think I have for, for tonight, um, it looks like the Warriors are going to continue being coached by Mike Brown, and that's the Mike Brown that was fired by the Cavs twice. And um, I just, I can't help, I mean, he's, he's a by all accounts, a super nice guy, but that just, I, I can't escape the fact that that feels like a huge advantage for the Cavs, especially given the fact that Golden State really has not had to deal with any close end-of-game situations since he took over. Yeah, I could not believe. I actually heard people trying to say that the fact that Mike Brown has coached LeBron before makes him an advantage for the Warriors. Hey, you could know exactly what LeBron's going to do. We all know what LeBron is going to do, but fucking good luck stopping it. Yeah, and at the same time, if he has any inclination about what you're doing and he's there on the court calling it out, who do you think that helps more? Like, I, I, I couldn't believe that I was hearing people actually try to make this argument. I'm like, have you fucking people not watched Mike Brown coach before? <laughs> like, yeah, he's Indian coached him before. That... Are, not, are not his strong suit. Right, and right, exactly. So that's, I, no. I want to see, like, what happens if Golden State does get into a close game and they need to drop a play coming out of a timeout or – they need to, you know, if the Cavs throw something at them. And that's the thing that, you know, among the many reasons I like Ty Lue, he finds these ways to throw wrinkles at you that you haven't seen this year. And you know, part of that is the Cavs are just so far ahead of everybody in the East, they don't really have to pull out every club in the bag to get through their half of the bracket so they can hold back some things. But um, when he throws those wrinkles that the Warriors don't have on, on film, you know, what's Mike Brown going to do with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't. I'm. I agree with you completely on this one. I don't. I don't see that as an advantage for Golden State in any way. Um, I, I can't imagine that anyone who's really watched Mike Brown coach before would would think that it is. And, and like you said, seems like a good dude. Probably a great assistant coach. Um, but I'm. I don't want him calling important place for me in the most important uh games of the season quite frankly um so yeah that's that's all i have to say about that and let me be clear <laughs> i i love steve kerr and i wish him all the best in his recovery i hope i hope come june 20th he is up and 100 percent. yeah take your time best wishes do it right don't, don't rush yourself rush, back don't rush back exactly and yeah i don't i don't even know what the, what the whole story is about what's wrong with him but 
yeah, it seems really bizarre that he's been down for this long. Um, he had like spinal fluid leaking, didn't he? Yeah, didn't he I know he had, that, like... he had surgery a couple of years ago, and I guess it's like something coming back from that. I don't know what exactly, but just seems wild. But either way, hope everything is well with him. Um, but if he wants to, you know, wait a few weeks to test himself again, then I would have no complaints about that. Yes. All the best on, on your thorough recovery, Steve Kirk. Exactly. Don't rush back. Make sure you're 100%. <laughs> yes. And if you think you're 100%, wait another week. <laughs> Can never be too sure. Exactly. All right. Well, I think we've uh, we've covered it all. Any Anything else? Um, no, I think that's about it. I, I, I'm nervous, man. <laughs> I've I made my wife watch Game Seven with me on Saturday night when we got home from the bar. Um, oh. She's she's a saint. She sat there and not the whole thing, sort of the shortened version, but it's still. Uh, I want to do that again. It's way more fun. I've I've got that game saved on my DVR with the uh, Do Not Delete, and um, <laughs> on a rainy day, I, I've been known to to break out the last five minutes in the post game. Still uh, gets dusty in the room every time. And yeah, yeah. No matter what happens in this series, that's never getting taken away. That that was a moment that uh, that you could never never have taken away, and uh, it's as good as it gets. And here's hoping we get something even remotely close to uh, approximating that again this year. Yeah, and I still. <laughs> it's funny. I'm sitting there watching it, and I know every play that's coming. But I'm still pumping my fist. And there's a play where LeBron misses that little bunny right at the rim. I'm sure you probably know the play I'm talking about. And you're like, "How oh, the yeah. fuck did you miss?" Like every little play, I'm still reacting to, it, even though I know exactly oh, what happens. You're like whispering the the play by play under yep. your breath because you yep. know all the calls. Like he misses that little laugh. I'm like, "Son of a bitch!" And then uh, I think it's. I think it's Iguodala who gets a hand on one uh, that LeBron got to the rim almost again, like two very close shots that most of the time he finishes, but just, you know, it's a game of inches. And for whatever reason, he's off by an inch or two. And you're just like, shit. And I remember how mad I was when it happened the first time. And I'm still almost as mad, um, but I know what's coming. So hopefully we have some more memories like that. And uh, in a few weeks we're, we're doing the same thing we were doing last year. I would love it. That uh, sounds great. So, lock in, man. It's uh, it's gonna be a ride. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be like I said. It's gonna be a lot of ups and downs, people. Just try to stay even, even Steven out there, and uh, go Cavs. Damn right. All right, as we get out of here, the usual reminders. If you have not done so already, go subscribe to our show. iPhone users, we are in the podcast app. Android people, we're on Google Play Music. So go subscribe. And while you're at it, go tell your friends to subscribe too. Help us spread the word about the show. And you can always catch up on every one of our past episodes on our website, thenailpodcast.com. And go like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash The Nail Podcast. We post links to new episodes, all sorts of other good stuff. As Travis mentioned during our show tonight, I posted a link to the Zach Lowe feature on Tristan Thompson today from ESPN.com. I don't know about you, Trev. I love Zach Lowe. He's one of my favorite writers uh, covering the NBA. I think he's one of the best guys uh, covering the league right now. Yeah, absolutely. He knows his stuff really well. Really good article today about Tristan. I know um 
Tristan's one of the guys who doesn't really ever seem to get enough uh, attention or credit for what he does. Um, but you read this article and you'll you'll have a new appreciation for the way Tristan goes about his business and sort of does the uh, the dirty work and looks for very little of the recognition. Yeah, good stuff from Zach Lowe. I, I think I might have to go stake out the queue next week when all the national writers roll in for games three and four and see if I can go say hi. <laughs> But, uh, or maybe get a restraining order or something. Yeah, whatever works. You know. <laughs> yeah, so. All right, that'll do it for us. We will be back next week. I'm guessing most likely between games two and three. Does that sound good? Uh, That would be what? What day, Pro- what day is game probably three? Monday or Tuesday next week. Game three is All next right. Wednesday. All right, sounds good. Let's do it. All right, there it is. For Travis Julie, I am Tom Valentino. It's been the nail in the coffin, and we will talk to you again soon. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.